0: Ephesians chapter 2, I read this last week, we did not get to any verses, um, but I just very quickly want to see how far we can get. I want to read through this again, verses 1 through 10, we're not going to make it through all of 10, as is no surprise to you. But Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no man may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Your verse 1 may be a little bit different if you've got the authorized version in King James, and I I believe in the New King James it's actually italicized a phrase, and he made you alive. Um, That italics is indicating that it's not found in the original Greek manuscript. Uh, It is However, not theologically incorrect. It comes from verse 5. The translators put it in there for clarification. So I will touch on that when we get to 5. But I'd like to focus on those who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who was dead? Everyone. Mady was dead when she was born. That's what she said. So were all of us. So is everyone in the world. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. What's the wages of sin? So all are receiving the wages of death. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, I don't want to, I don't get some sort of sadistic pleasure out of making sure you know that you are included in this. But neither can we appreciate the fullness, the beauty, and the depth of verses 4 through 10 until we have realized what He has raised us up out of. So for one moment, let us just bask in the cruelness of our sins, of our wicked past. You were dead, oh yes. You may have been able to move around in the natural realm, but spiritually you were dead. Let me just give you a description, biblically, a biblical description of spiritual death that we see from different verses. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, you were blind. I once was blind, but now I see. He says, you are a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin, he says in Romans six seventeen. Jesus tells us that we were lovers of darkness, not just in the darkness, but just grasp and behold this. You were a lover of darkness the darkness of the world. Mark 2, 17 says Jesus came to heal the sick. You were sick. In Luke 5, he says you were lost. You were an alien, a stranger, a foreigner, as we'll see in Ephesians chapter 2 later. Verse 3 says that we were children of wrath, born, and guess whose our parents was? The devil in wrath. We were under the power of darkness, Colossians 13. Oh, you were dead. You were damned to the lake of fire for your lies. You were headed to hell in a handbasket for your hate. You weren't just sick. You weren't just dazed. There was nothing alive in you. There was no glimpses of good nature. You were listening in the classroom, but you couldn't even raise your hand to ask the teacher a question. You couldn't even move. You were cold. You were dead. You were born with rigor mortis already in a coffin. You may as well have been buried six feet under Oh, believer, you must understand how grave a situation was. You were dead and your trespasses and sins. Now, Jesus, before you can give him praise, because he crashed your funeral by raising you from the dead, spectacular event, isn't it? Let us continue on this journey i wish we could spend a whole week here but i have to leave it on a good note (laughs) dead in trespasses and sins you couldn't flick your eyes as if you were in the icu incapacitated trying to get the nurse's attention you couldn't move your lips you were dead already cold now, I've heard, often heard that the differences between trespasses and sins is that there's a subtle differences in the state of the unbeliever and the one who's committing those, but there is no scriptural support for that. That is only human conjecture. The truth is, both of these words are used fairly interchangeably. Now, there is a difference between committing a sin and going on in sinning. There's an active and then there's a, a, an ongoing uh, tense of that. But these two words are fairly interchangeable, and I want to differentiate, the, differentiate them for you. I wish I really could. But that would go against the spirit-led knowledge that he has given to me. The words in Greek are paraptoma, which is translated in my Bible as trespasses. It means a lapse in, well, a lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness. A lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness. The other word, my Bible, sins is harmatia. It's to miss the mark. Or to wander from the law of God violates God's law, sin. So let me just cherry pick that part of the definition for each of those. Deviation from truth, wandering from the law of God. They're pretty closely related, okay? So there's not describing two different kinds of sins. Don't go down that road. That's none of that. Just using all the words that Paul has in his arsenal to describe what you were dead in. Your sins, your trespasses, all of your deviations and missings of the mark, all of your unholiness. Now, I want to circle around, back around to this word, which transitions us to verse 2. You were dead, but something happened to you. Verse 2 says, You formerly walked, verse 3 says, You formerly lived. But even though you were dead, verse 5, he has made you alive past tense. It's as if 1 Corinthians, he says in, verse, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God. Listen, all those behaviors that you did before are past tense. They're part of your old man that's crucified, dead, and buried. They're before Christ came into you. But see, now that you've been made alive, you have to act differently. Do you know, I've never talked to a dead man, well, that's I've never talked to a dead man. That's fairly, <laughs> it's true, that's true. I have never talked to a dead man. I would wager that there has never been a dead person who was uncomfortable in their coffin. When you are dead in your sins, you're comfortable. That's where you were born, a child of wrath. But God, by his grace and his mercy, gives us the taste of the Holy Spirit. And there's this longing and wooing, saying there's something better. And he calls you and starts to cleanse you and transition you. As you begin to have faith and believe in his name, you recognize that these dead ways of your past are no longer for you. See, as a dead man feels comfortable in his casket, but when you be made alive again, guess what? He would begin to suffocate, wouldn't he? There'd be this insatiable desire, this strong urge to escape the casket. In the same way, when we are spiritually dead, we feel comfortable in trespasses and sins, but having come to new life, we must escape that coffin, that casket, and we must leave behind the behaviors of our past. We once were all of those things, but we have been washed. Now perhaps you're like me and this analogy is not easy to get. Some of you were made alive at an older age and you can look back on your past and you can see I was saved from this, I was saved from that. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. But for me, it was a little different. I asked the Lord into my heart as a young boy. I don't really look back and see this huge transition from you know, five to six years of age in my life. (laughs) I didn't give up pot and drugs and alcohol and pornography and all that stuff and come running to Jesus in my preschool. But see, you know, as I've matured and grown into Christ, you know what I see? I see somebody who's struggling to do the things that I want to do and I can't. And I do the things that I do not want to do, Romans chapter 7. You may be thinking, oh, well, it's so wonderful. You're spared from so much sin and so much heartache. Yes, I agree on one hand. But this analogy breaks down for me because I don't see this massive transformation in my life. I don't see that I was once this way and then I wasn't this way anymore in Christ Jesus. But we all, we all have to see ourselves as people of idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, etc. So here I am. Made alive in Christ Jesus, even though I don't always feel victorious, even though I don't always feel like I've been made alive, we have to let the truth of this passage resonate in my heart and your hearts. I formerly walked, I formerly lived, but now I am made alive in Christ. Not only do these behaviors have no place in my life, guess what? They have no distinguishing mark on my identity. That's not who I am in Christ Jesus. This is borderline offensive, but we need to get a hold of this truth. If you are in Christ Jesus, then the God the Father does not look down at you as an adulterer, liar, hater, homosexual. He sees you as washed if you are in Christ Jesus. That's your past. It's dead. It's buried. Leave it there. Why are you trying to raise it up out of the casket? Now, there's a lot... That say they're in Christ Jesus, and we'll leave that up to God to decide. But if you're in Him, the former ways of your past must be crucified. He does not see you that way. You are washed as white as snow in Christ Jesus. Now, to the degree that our natural man sins is simply the degree that we are yet to spiritually surrender to Christ Jesus. Now we are spiritual beings nonetheless with a spiritual destiny, and we need to recognize the lie of the enemy that tells us we are still dying and still dead in our sins. Satan wants to come in to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to disrupt. If he can convince you that you're a sinner and you're no good for nothing, then he's won. Because God's word is very clear on that, that if you're in Christ Jesus, you're washed. That's all past tense behavior. You were, you were, you formerly were, but God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says it this way For you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light In Christ Jesus in the Lord you are light exposing the darkness He admi- he admonishes us to continue walking in that light walk in that light Verse 2 chapter 2 Now working In which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Do you know that the work of Satan in believers is ongoing? He's now working. The word is like our word energy. We saw it already twice in chapter 1 energizes. It's different words describing power or now working, but understand that in the same way the prince of power of the air, who's that? Satan. In the same way that Satan is working to in the disobedient world, the power of God is working in you and I. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, that's God who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the energy, same word, that works within us. Satan, energy in the disobedient. God energizes those that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand that Satan has power. He has no authority. All authority has been given to Christ Jesus, but he has power. He's using that power and can only utilize that power in those that are outside of Christ Jesus. But as we come and give our lives to Christ, as we walk in Christ Jesus, we are taken out from under the power of the enemy and transferred into the kingdom of God, and we are working under or living under the working of God's power, His mighty power. Now, I'm not a betting man, but based solely on these two verses, God's going to win in a landslide. Look, they they both have power, right? But look at the verse 20, power of God. Able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Satan's got some power to keep the disobedient ones blinded in the world. But God has all power. And as the children turn to Christ, and as they begin to grasp and feel and say, there's got to be something different, God is right there. He's right there waiting for them said, this one's mine. He's been calling them. He wishes none to perish, but all have everlasting life. And so God the Father is ready to allow His abundantly, above all that we could ask or think power, work in the di- disobedient world. Now, this description of our deadness keeps on going, verse 3. Among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh and indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. How many of you know or have been in a place where you're indulging in sins of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the mind? How many of you have a child, a grandchild, that's indulging in those lusts? Pray for them. Pray that God would break the bondage of their life. Reminds me of 1 John 2.16, doesn't it? For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, John says, but is from the world. Not from the Father, but is from the world. You catch in these parallels. The Bible knows nothing of the idea that all men are children of God, except for the fact that we have a common Creator. God creates everyone. The only children of God are those that are in His Son, in Christ Jesus. There are children of the world that have a good Father, and there I are mean, children of the world that have a bad father, the devil, and there are children of God that have a good father, himself. Jesus called the Pharisees a family of snakes. Matthew 3, 7. Family. If you're a family, you've got a father, don't you? He said that their father was a devil, John 8:44. Catch that. Their father is a devil. Two families, two fathers. There's a children of wrath and there's the children of God. And so the children of wrath, when they're judged, get this, they're only getting what they deserve. They're born of wrath. They're children of wrath. They're, they're of, the, of the devil who is only bringing wrath. And so God's wrath is only giving them what they desire and what they deserve. We often feel this kind of heartbreak. But you know, I want you to know something scripturally speaking. Children of wrath are not victims of God's wrath. Really, they're only getting what they deserve. It is justice of God that he would bring and allow his wrath to give them what they desire. Now, it's tragic to hear about children in this modern analogy, let's go back to us, of children being abused, okay? But you, what's, what's more tragic to me, not necessarily more tragic, but I don't want us to overlook. I, pardon my expression on this. this. is a difficult analogy, but let us not, in, in looking at the some cases of abuse and unfortunate things that happen with children being beaten, but us not overlook. One of the worst punishments is probably not receiving any punishment at all. And that's what Satan would have the children of wrath believe. He would deceive them and tell them that there is no punishment. There is no God. There's no hell. It's all make-believe. So they grow up becoming what? Spoiled little brats doing whatever they want because they've never been told in their life. They've never had their hands slapped. They've never been spanked. But they must get wrath for that is what they are born of. But see, there are other children in the world. They have a loving family and they're disciplined. They're disciplined by the father, but they're disciplined in love. We get discipline that we may escape the wrath. Children of the devil or children of God, there's two families. Verse four. But God being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. No matter where you are on your journey, you need to understand that there is always a but God. There's a life full of hate. There's a life full of deception. There's a life full of theft and death and destruction. And then there's the way of the king. Writer John Bloom on desiringgod.com says, these two words referring to but God are overflowing with gospel. For sinners like you and me who were lost and completely unable to save ourselves with our dead-set rebellion against God, there may not be two more hopeful words that we could utter. But God could be an entire message in and of itself. Joseph was sold into slavery, but God meant it for good. All but eight lives were drowned, but God remembered Noah. Saul hunted David day after day, but God did not give David into his hands. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, but God raised him from the dead. O reader, perk up, hear the words of Paul, and let them soak into your spirit. But God, you were dead in your trespasses, but God. You were dead in your sins, but God. You formerly walked according to the age of this world, but God. You formerly walked according to the ways of the devil, but God. You formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, but God. You formerly indulged the desires of the flesh, but God. You formerly were by nature a child of wrath, but God. When we are gods, Satan cannot triumph. He may press. People may disappoint, but God. Circumstances do not get the last word. The enemy, Satan, does not get the last word. Death and disease do not get the last word, but God does. Being rich in mercy, oh, his mercy. Do you think someone with just regular mercy could save you? Nope. It's not his regular mercy that calls you out of darkness. Not his regular mercy that could forgive someone so unforgivable as just described in these last three verses. Oh, it took the richness of God's mercy to love the sinner in his sin that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. It took the richness of God's mercy to love each and every one of us. The most merciful judge in the planet would never have let you and I go without punishment for the wicked things that we've done. But God... See, human mercy is limited. But our offenses against God were so heinous, so unforgivable, that His forgiveness shows Him to be more than merciful. He is rich in mercy. Now, I don't believe that we can understand the mercy of God until we have groveled with our sin. That's why I wanted to spend a few moments there this morning. Now, There are a couple of words for mercy in Hebrew. You can turn to Psalm 103. But fortunately, we have several instances of Jesus and Mary using this particular word that we see in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. This word mercy, as Mary and Jesus quotes it several times of Old Testament scriptures, they use the Hebrew word chesed, okay? It's often translated um, as loving kindness in more modern translations. Um, There's a breakdown between some of the Psalms, His mercy endures forever. Many translations now say His loving kindness endures forever. And so we have this memorized as mercy, and that's fine, it's great, it's not a wrong word by any means. In fact, that's the way it's translated here in Ephesians chapter 2. But I just need to explain this to you because I want you to see there's two different kinds of mercy. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord... That's Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all of your iniquities, praise God. Heals all your diseases, praise God. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness. That's the word chesed or mercy. Okay? I believe even the King James says chesed there. In compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord Yahweh performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, mine says, loving kindness. Yours may say mercy. We'll be with you in a minute. Mine says loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. Okay? So understand that there's different Greek words that are go, or different Hebrew words that are going on here. And I want you to see that in your Bible. But it's the same word mercy that we're talking God about being rich with. Verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Same word, mercy, loving kindness. Chase said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame." He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As for a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Let's jump down to 17. But the mercy or loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. O church, he's rich in mercy. His mercy is an expression of himself. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. Your heavenly Father is so filled and overflowing with very mercy that he was able to be merciful to you while you were dead in your own sins. You know, it's not because you were good. Sometimes we sort of think this idea that, oh, we're, we're lovable, aren't we? It's not because you did no wrong. It's simply because of his rich mercy that, guess what? You are now seated with Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Now, we're told to be merciful that we might receive mercy, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. But this mercy can only come about because of his love. Because we are in the love of Christ Jesus, we are able to extend his mercy to the world. Well, one day we'll be perfected in his love. We too can share in his mercy. But look back at the second half of this verse, Ephesians chapter 2. Because of his great love with which he loved us. God was rich in mercy because he loved you. This tells us that God is merciful because of his love. Now some, again, as I said, some think that they're lovable, but instead scripture tells us that he loved you while you were unlovable. He loved you in your sins. His love is so great that it extends to even the children of wrath. So let me ask you that have been following Christ, why do we try to make ourselves lovable? Oh, if I just read another verse, if I just do better in my devotions, if I just fast a little longer, if I just pray a little more, if I just sing a little more worship. Nothing you can do is going to make you more lovable. God's love is so great that he loved you when you were unlovable. Why on earth do you try to make yourself more attractive to him? You're in Christ Jesus for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions, says verse 5. This is when God started loving us. When were we dead in our transgressions? From conception. You see, there wasn't a moment in your life that God didn't love you. He loved you from the very beginning. That old man is crucified. Now we're new creations. If you're in Christ Jesus, behold, all things are becoming new. The old things are passing away. The son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. Paul says it slightly differently. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. If you're there, it's just a couple pages over. Here's some extra spiritual goodness. And we'll close out with this. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception "...according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision, made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead." When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, that's the law, the Old Testament, which was hostile toward us, and he has taken it away out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers, in authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him Amen. i don't know where you are in your journey and your walk but i want to reiterate the word of christ to you this morning no matter where you've been no matter what you've been up to no matter where you're going god the father loves you so much that he gave you his son that if you should choose to believe in him confess your mouth with your mouth that he's lord will bring you to new life he will raise you up out of your funeral up out of that casket out of that coffin he will raise you to new life and seat you in the high places in christ jesus oh god loves you with such a love you say oh i'm a sinner pastor i've done horrible things it can't be forgiven but god ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 But God, being rich in His mercy, because of that love with which He loved you, He says, Come to me. I'll give you rest.